Former King, former Sacramento King, Scott Pollard, got a heart transplant um, just recently. And I uh, saw it in the news. And you know, you know it was driven through the valley to the hospital by some courier half crazed on coffee or weed or God knows what whipping through traffic with a human heart in the back of his 06 Honda Civic. You know what I mean? Just sitting in an igloo cooler back there next to like a bunch of old uh, CDs of like, uh, you know, rat and docking. <laughs> A lot of people don't realize, like, you know, so, sometimes it's sometimes it's okay to not know everything, right? You don't want to know how the sausage is made, right? Like, literally, you know? And, like, you don't want to know that, like, there are, courier, like, couriers, multiple couriers driving through the valley with, like, an igloo cooler that's got donated organs like eyeballs or a brain or stem cells or bone marrow, you know, but I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't realize Scott Pollard was in that, in that situation though, but yeah, he got a, um, he was on the donor list and then, uh, you can almost picture it, you know, you just like, they found a match. Unfortunately, when they, you know, when they mean they find a match, it's really not it's good news, but it's not good news. That means, like, somebody had to sacrifice that situation, you know. Somebody gave up that heart, and they probably, you know, I don't know. Pro- I, I doubt they did it willingly. So, so you, I guess, you know, the minute they get that call, right, they just, uh, it's taken to the lab, it's tested, it's putting through, it's put through a whatever testing and uh, verification and valid you know is making sure it's a sound organ and then they call up they call up they call up a dispatch or they call (laughs) up you know they set it up and dispatch calls a courier and there's some dude some guy that just took like a fucking rip from a gravity bong and is in his roommate's bathroom and uh, subsisting on primarily, you know, fucking AMPM corn dogs and um, root beers, and uh, they usually got their iPod head, uh, their their ear pods in, you know, their listening to some bizarre podcast on some strange, you know, the conspiracy theory podcast or some murder podcasts or, uh, and then they get the call. Hey, we got, uh, we got a pickup over at Sierra donors over in West Sac. We need you to pick it up and take it to the airport. And then you've got to tender it. And then you got to get it through security. You got to get it to the cargo cargo uh they need to know what's in it so you better know what's in it and it's a human heart and then because uh, <laughs> if because if you don't know what's in it that means that uh, tsa has to check it and if they open it up um i don't know i mean how many times have they opened up it and wanted to see a heart seen a heart 
didn't want to see a brain, saw a brain. I don't know, but that's, you know, it's fascinating just driving through the valley with boxes and boxes of just blood and organs and stem cells and, you know, cord blood from the, uh, from, uh, I mean, literally, I mean, gosh, dozen, dozens of times walked into, um, walked into the, uh, the birthing center of a, of a hospital and just said, I'm here to pick up the cord blood and you get a box. It's got a uh, umbilical cord in it. And then you take that bitch down to the, uh, usually you take it down to, uh, Sacramento airport, put it on a plane. But, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what we do, man. That's what we do. Sometimes we're sitting around just kind of hovering in a car, in a parking lot, some shitty side of the parking lot. Just playing some nonsense, some, some game on our phone or some learning some some language to keep our brain fresh. That's wild. But that's not why I called you all here. That's not why... I, that's not what I call... That's not... You're probably wondering why I called you all here. You know? Um, I don't know. I saw an, I saw an ad... Uh, speaking of... Speaking of... Um, speaking of, like, convalescing in hospitals and heart transplants, I saw an ad for... Um, Sutter Health Hospital, like, which I thought was strange. Like, why would a hospital advertise on TV, right? Like, you know, our our radiology department's better. You know, our x-ray technicians are better, right? Or, I don't know. Honestly, if I need a hospital, man, I'm going to the closest one, you know? I don't need, like, oh, man, I really like that ad for Sutter Health. I really like... I really like the way Kaiser did their advertising. I should, I should give my services to them. I should give my convalescing, <laughs> my convalescence to them, you know. But, uh, but uh, speaking of which, um, sadly, uh, yet another legendary Kenyan has. Uh, has expired on us. And the, the great Henry Rono, um, who is not a household name, nor was Calvin Kiptum, the world record holder in the marathon who passed away on the Super Bowl Sunday in a car accident at the age of 24. But, um, but this one's kind of, it's, it's big. It's kind of a reverberation of sorts. It's like, all of the running community, like if you know, if you're a runner, like if you're a competitive runner, like if you've ever run uh, a college race, you know, if you ever run a race for a college or uh, in any kind of competitive capacity where, well, anyway, you, you might know the name Henry Rono and he, he was 72 years old. He was of course well past his prime, obviously, but he was this, I mean, he was just like ridiculously like he's he's probably the most talented of all the Kenyans that have ever been in the sport, and that's hard, and that's a pretty big distinction because there's a lot of great 
Kenyans, both past and present and uh, future. But um, but he was he was interested. He he kind of uh, began this uh, pipeline, I guess, that Washington State University created, uh, which was the uh, which is Drew Bledsoe's alma mater, former New England Patriot, Dallas Cowboy. But he, uh, but they were, the story goes that they were, they were a big ag school, big agricultural school. And so they had this, I don't know, they had this, I would be interested in seeing who the, who the architect for all this was. There had to be some geeky, you know, pencil pushing kind of money ball bureaucrat guy in the meetings for Washington State, the athletics program. They're like probably had to sit there and go, you know, we're a big agricultural school, you know, and um, the farmers in the Rift Valley of Kenya, in the Nandi tribe, you know, they could probably use a lot of our skill set that we teach in our programs here. And oh, and by the way, they're also world-class runners. Maybe we should recruit a few. Yeah. So they bring over Henry Rono. Uh, they bring over guys like John Nagino. Um, not all of them went to Washington State, but in the seventies, there was a big uh, kind of this Ken- uh, this Kenyan wave of sorts, this African wave. Not all, and then not all of them came from Kenya, but um, you know there was guys like uh, oh, Suleiman Niambui. I think he went to like UTEP. Um, Mike Musioki, uh, another UTEP runner, um, you know, they just kind of scattered throughout, uh, gosh, even into kind of 80s or to 90s modern to modern day present there's like Sydney Marie is a great example uh South African who went to Villanova and uh he he broke a lot of NCAA records but he ended up um changing citizenship to be an American he was a, a an American Olympian in the 1500 um in uh, 84 and uh, I think 88 as well uh but yeah they so there's a big you know Pipeline, Peter Kipkoyech, Peter Koyech, um, Gidami Shahanga, uh, just a shit ton of these guys that, um, but in 78, well, okay, so he had made the 76 Olympic team for Kenya, but they boycotted the Olympics uh, in 76 and 80, like we did in 80. We didn't boycott the 76 Olympics, but they did. And... um, so he he got robbed, uh, but in between those two Olympics in '78, this guy broke four world records in the span of like 81 days, in the 3,000 meters, 3,000 meter steeplechase, 5,000 and 10,000, and there's still a uh, huge. I mean, there's still. I mean, uh, I think it's the the steeplechase. Uh, at the time, they were all world records, but they were also NCAA records. Uh, they still, let's see, the steeplechase record still stands as the NCAA record. The other one, the others have been, uh, I think the others have been beat though. Uh, I don't know. Let's find out. Um, let's find out, shall we? 
Uh, what is the NCAA record for 3,000 meters? Okay. List of United States collegiate records in track and field. Here we go. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want, love. Thank you. Okay, outdoor. Outdoor. Outdoor men's 1500. This will be interesting. Okay, 1500 meters. 333 by Iliad Kipsang, University of Alabama. See, there's... There you go. There's no Iliad Kipsang that was born in Alabama, so trust me on that. He was a transfer student. Um, in the mile, Sydney Marie, 352, Villanova, South Africa, uh, uh, and, well, combined, he's got the dual, uh, he must have dual citizenship, they're showing both flags, 3,000 meters, uh, Henry Roanoke, 732, uh, American born, yeah, they haven't beat, yeah, they haven't beat that one. American-born uh, NCAA records held by Rudy Chapa. That's an old one, too. That was just about the same. Yeah, 79. Uh, he was from, I think he was from, like, the East Coast, Rudy Chapa. That dude ran 28-32 in the 10,000 meters in high school. And then did, and then what? And then did nothing. Like, what the fuck? 5,000 meters, Lawi Lalang of University of Arizona. <laughs> Lawi Lalang. He is Kenyan. Uh, 13 flat, 5,000. Uh, Rono used to have the record at 1306, I believe, but that even that was beat by Abde, Abdehamid Noor of Northern Arizona, uh, who is a naturalized. Uh, he was born in the U.S., oddly enough. Oh, okay, so Sam Chalanga did, did beat. Henry Rona. Matter of fact, Chris Derrick even beat Henry Rona's. Re- no, he didn't. Sorry, I take that back. Rona ran 27.22. Sam Chalanga ran 27.08 for Liberty University. He is also Kenyan. Chris Derrick ran uh, 27.31 for Stanford, which is fucking crazy. But uh, the steeplechase, yes, Henry Rona still has the NCAA record uh, in this 3,000 meter steeplechase at 8.05. Uh, Duncan Hamilton, though, just beat that, uh, or beat the American record of, the American NCAA record, which used to be held by, briefly by Kenneth Rooks, who won the NCAA championships, uh, and then went on to win the U.S. Nationals the same year to represent the team at the World Championships, but didn't, I think he ended up 10th or something, but... Duncan Hamilton in a preliminary round at Sacramento, Sac State University, last May, when it was hotter than fuck, ran 8-16. The old record, well, he, I think the, uh, Rooks only had the record for like a, a day or something, and then, and then, uh, Duncan Hamilton, um, beat that record, but prior to that, it was held by a guy named, of all of all people, a guy named Farley Gerber. He ran 8.19 way back in the day for Weber State, which I don't know what their deal is. It's a deal. It's a deal with Weber State. 
Are they like one of those hidden Mormon colleges? You know, that you don't really know about? But anyway, long story short, yeah, Henry Rono was, I mean, he fuck he fucked some people up. He used to just play, he used to just fuck around on the track and just run like 27.30. He'd beat guys like Alberto Salazar. He'd just run hard on the straights and jog the turns. Just, I don't, he was just that talented. He, 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 he was a freak because he subsisted primarily on like fast food and alcohol because he was an alcoholic. Uh, but I, I even ran, I ran in a race uh, with him in 89 in Portland, Oregon. Cause he was, he'd bounced around after uh, he got out of college and, uh, he must've made some money on the international scene and track, but not that much, but, uh, but he remained in the States. He kind of bounced around. He was homeless in the early nineties in Salt Lake city of all places, which is a, it's a strange place to end up homeless. It's very clean. I will say that, I mean, the salt, the, the Mormons know how to do homelessness, right? Or they know how to do, I don't know what they, all I know is I was in Salt Lake City at 3 a.m. and they had a vibrant homeless community that was also out and about at 3 a.m. with a very vibrant Mormon community that was out and about on the streets. Like, that is the craziest town. Like, actually, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a bad town to be homeless in if, uh, uh, other than say the weather, the weather would be really the roughest of, of the elements, you know, but otherwise it's clean. It's, but, uh, anyway, RIP Henry Rono, I ran against you. I don't know if I beat you or not in Portland back in the day, back in 89, I ran, uh, I ran a, f- it was a five mile or an eight K I ran like twenty five thirty one. He probably, he probably beat me. But he had, I remember, I took a picture with him. I have a, I don't know where that picture went. Um, but he had a little belly. He had a little gut, a little beer belly. And, uh, but he was a man. I mean, everybody knew right. You're like, that's fucking Henry Rono. That's fucking Henry Rono. Like, what the fuck? But, uh, yeah, he's 20 years older. 20 years older. So he was born, in, he would have been born in 51. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, just over, just a, year older than uh than uh, my own pops but uh yeah it's uh so yeah we're cu- yeah we're uh we're we're in that weird gunky weird f- funky i don't know zombie type trance state between um that lull of nothingness between super bowl and like um spring training i don't know. i don't really get into basketball so much until the playoffs playoffs but um so it's funky you just it's a lull it's kind of people are disoriented they're kind of walking around kind of aimlessly bumping into walls not knowing what to do or what to do with, what to say or what to you know what to do with their hands it's strange but um but reflecting yeah getting back to like the whole like, so I'd made a I'd made a point. Uh, la- maybe it was the last episode that the Niners had gone. The last three Super Bowls uh, with three different quarterbacks since 2012, they've gone to three different Super Bowls, three different quarterbacks, lost all three. Uh, in in 
close fashion. Well, uh, let's see. I think the the first time the Chiefs beat him, it was fairly decisive. But uh, it came down to a field goal in 2012 against the Ravens. Ravens ed- just edged him out, beat Colin Kaepernick's Niners, and then um, obviously this last Super Bowl last Sunday. But what uh, what I it, what I didn't realize is uh, listening to uh, Bill Burr talk, uh, I think this was even prior to the Super Bowl, was uh, Joe Gibbs totally overlooked as a great uh, football coach, uh, particularly in Super Bowls, particularly with three different kind of eras or three different quarterbacks. Um, Joe Theismann, Mark Rippon, and Doug Williams. And... uh, that's hard. To, that's that's hard to do. Um, we've seen we what can happen to a great coach when you lose that one, that one mainstay, that piece, that twenty year piece, right? I was looking at, um, like they did. ESPN are they're so like they're such haters, right? And Mike Greenberg of all people, all right, who I think he comes off as fairly intelligent, but there's an East Coast kind of a New York, I guess you maybe would call it a New York bias, which is not hidden. It's not, it's, it's well documented, but he did a breakdown of the top five dynasties in football, which there are only, if you want it, it's the slimmest definition of a dynasty. But I guess the qualifiers is you've done, you've had three, three Super Bowl wins in four years or three, Three wins in five years or three appearances in four... No, three appearances in four years or three wins in five years. Otherwise, yeah, the Chiefs wouldn't be... But they rank... They rank the... Uh, they rank the top five dynasties, being there, being that there are only five, okay? And of those five teams, I'm not going to tell you how they're ranked yet, but it was basically like uh, Steelers, Cowboys, Niners, Patriots... Uh, Packers and number one surprisingly or not mm, is the Packers he gives the Packers a number one dynasty which they'd won the first two Super Bowls and I believe they'd won the national see prior to the prior to Super Bowl one they just had an NFL championship right so it was the best of the uh, best of the two representative teams uh top two records and uh, i think that the packers had won uh, the uh, nfl they were nfl champions prior to the first super bowl so you can give it to them they were dominating but then i think and i don't know you can kind of interchange second and third because it was it was um the second and third dynasty second and third best dynasties according to Mike Greenberg of ESPN um it was the Steelers or the Cowboys because fourth was the Chiefs above the Patriots which is so insulting so insulting because you're talking about take Patriots out of the equation you're talking about four teams that are all basically captured within a five-year span right Three to five years. Three to five years. You've had three wins in five years, or you've had two wins in three years, but which is definitely um, 
you could say that about Cowboys, Steelers, Packers. Uh, you you can't you can't say that about the Chiefs though, because they lost to the Bucks. Um, because Mahomes won against um, the Niners. Then he lost the against the Bucks, but then he beat the Eagles. But there was wasn't there an in between? Am I missing something? Am I missing it? There's. I'm missing some. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, because it was the the Rams Bengals, duh. So that doesn't. So that that spreads his his. Let's see. So he went in twenty. And twenty and uh, let's see. Twenty and. No, he lost in 21 because the, the Bucks won. Yeah. How did they figure that? How did they figure the Chiefs are better? Because the fucking Patriots for 20 years, 20 years, Brady's, <laughs> dude, Brady won 251 games in 20 years in the regular season. That's just regular season in 20 years. So that breaks down to 12, almost 13. Yeah, that's like 12 and a half. It's over 12 and a half games, 12 and a half wins per season for 20 years. That's 12 and that's going 12 and four every year. But, but sometimes you go 13 and three. But they're not a dominating force by, yeah, they're fifth best, you know. Fucking stupid. Fucking just, that's just hate, man. That's just hate. Like, the the Patriots have won 21 in a row. I think more than once. Spanning playoffs and into the next season, they've gone, they've done 21 wins in a row. I know they've done 20, they've done 21 for sure once. And then they've done 18 in a row. Just fucking stupid. Just so stupid. You know? But it's... It it, it, it keeps them... I guess it keeps them in a job to talk about. Cause, but there's going to be a point. I mean, we're, we're at Super Bowl 58 now. So... It's going to be... I mean... In a decade, it's going to be like 68 Super Bowls. In 20 years, it's going to be 78 Super Bowls. You're going to get to a point where it's just like, it doesn't, it's all a lot. It's like, there's so many statistics now. There's so many, so many, it's just, it'll just be a wash. But I, but I look back, I think that the whole, like, unearthing that Joe Gibbs piece of information was really fascinating because that's a guy that's got three wins. I don't, let's see, Bill Parcells doesn't even have two wins. Uh, three wins, you know. Um, let's see. Winningest Super Bowl coaches. Let's go. Winningest Super Bowl coaches. Okay, so 
Let's see what we got here. That's a good list, man. Yeah, there's a fine list. Belichick. The only coach to win six Super Bowls is Bill Belichick. Then you got Chuck Knoll. Let's, let's see. Chuck Knoll's got four. Bill Walsh has four because Seifert was the Niners coach when Steve Young won. Don Shula. How many has he got? Lombardi's got two. Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs owns the distinction as being the only coach to win three Super Bowls with three different starting quarterbacks. Yeah. Tom Flores. Absolutely. But give me like give me like stats. All they're doing is winning as Super Bowl coaches by the numbers. NFL coaches with most wins. Who coached? Most Super Bowl wins by player. Super Bowl winning coaches. Coaches with most Super Bowl appearances. And NFL head coaches with most Super Bowl wins. Okay, here we go. By the numbers. Yes. Belichick, six. How can you take that? Oh, you fuck you. In 20 years, you got six wins. Because he, he also won uh, as a defensive coordinator with the Giants. That doesn't count, though. Talking about head coaches, bitch. Okay, Chuck Knoll's got the four. Bill Walsh, three. Joe Gibbs, three. Andy Reid, three. See, Andy Reid's like fifth on this list. And uh, Lombardi's got the two, the first two that the Packers won. Tom Flores has two? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Johnson's only got two because uh, Barry Switzer was uh, the coach of the third win. Yeah, that wasn't... Eh, wasn't much to speak. George Seifert's got two. Who else? What? Who am Wait a minute. Bill Walsh has... Oh, Seifert was the coach for one of Montana's wins as well. Okay. I say Mike Shanahan's got two of the Broncos, but his son Kyle's got none because he folds faster than Superman on laundry day. And Tom Coughlin's got two with the ah, fucking old fucking crypt keeper. Fuck that guy. Bill Parcells only has two with the Giants. Tom Landry, two. Don Shula, two with the Dolphins. Yeah. That's just hate, man. That's just hate. But. Eh, what are you going to do? What can you do? It's just a game. Hey, don't wait. What the fuck do you say? I said it's just a game. It's fucking more than fucking just a game. Calm down. When you just fucking call it's just it's just football. Oh, I don't even know you now. What the fuck? What the fuck are you saying? What the fuck are you even saying? Boy. But yeah, so now it's like, I don't know, it's just the time, it's just time to kind of be a little more reflective. <laughs> what do you mean reflective? Like reflecting on yourself? No, like reflective, like reflecting light, you know? No. Like being like, like being like um, introspective. Now is a good time to just take a, 
Take a day to yourself. There's nothing going on. There's nobody bothering you. You know? Not everything has to be epic. We don't... Every day of your life doesn't have to be epic. You can have a regular boring day. It's okay. You know? We're not trying to solve the world's riddles today. Right? This is a weird... It's... I don't know. It's a weird... I think winter's over. Did it start? Did we start winter? It's o- It's already over. I literally... I haven't had the need for a jacket. Matter of fact, most days I'm in a short sleeve shirt. It's wild. It's really wild. Um, yeah, it's just nice. Just, just turn on your, turn on your Spotify. Just go to Sugar Candy Mountain Radio, which is like a this kind of trippy, kind of uh, drowsy, psychedelic type channel by this band, Sugar Candy Mountain. Who if I had to guess, we're probably connected to Adventure Time in some weird, twisted, cartoonish, psychedelic cartoon network type fashion. But they have good songs. And then, but the, but can Sugar Candy Mountain Radio. Now you got bands like King Tough, the Moses Gun Collective, the Murlocs. Yeah, yeah, the Murlocs. I don't know who these guys are. It's just. Like I say, it's just this drowsy psychedelia, man. You know, like some of that old kind of real crisp, but kind of reverbering psychedelic type baseline kind of surf music, but it's also kind of tight and trippy and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just something you can kind of lose your mind to a little, kind of cleanse yourself of the week you had, the month you had, the season you had, the life you had. I don't know. What do you want out of me? You know? But other than that, man, I don't... I think there's... Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's you can kind of sense, like, the year it's... This is going to be a wild year because it's, like, too quiet right now. Right? Like, everybody's trying to form... Everybody's trying to form some kind of mass... F- formation psychosis over this whole Taylor Swift thing going being like shown at the Super Bowl 15 16 18 times what was the over under on that there was I'm sure there's people that are betting on it there's people you know right now there's people betting on drops of water going down a pane of glass so why wouldn't they bet on that why wouldn't they bet on Taylor Swift how many times is the camera going to pan over to Taylor Swift but but you know you could take the hard line kind of tinfoil hat you know kind of paranoid psychosis type theory and think like there's some kind of deep state connection where you know she's being used as some kind of buffer between like the unvaccinated and the uh and Pfizer and uh Travis Kelsey and his Pfizer commercials or or you can just take the glasses half full approach and you know by some happenstance by some haphazard way it's brought fathers and daughters together. You know, they want to see Taylor Swift. They don't want to watch football, but she's there. She's at the game. You're watching the game. You don't really want to, you know, you don't really want to pull yourself away from the game, but you like spending time with your daughter. And now she can spend time with you and, you know, geek out on um, all the shenanigans that are going on with Taylor Swift chugging a beer and uh, bringing in... Um, you know all the all, all the parasitic 
Hollywood community and whatnot. But she's cool. She's a beast. She writes her own songs. Like, she's a po- I think she's super positive uh, as far as like a role model goes. Like, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any complaints. It's just, you know, look. If you're an, if you're an NFL fan, you're probably wearing an oversized jersey. You're probably got a big old friggin' shed of a belly sitting out front of you, you know, on your stupid uh, Steve Bono jersey. <laughs> you thought you were clever getting the only San Francisco 49er Steve Bono jersey when nobody even gives a fuck. I mean, I'd, I, I, I would rather have a Steve DeBerg jersey, but, you know, and unfortunately, you're just, you're, you get winded walking to the fridge. So, you know, don't give me your half-cock theory on the downfall of the NFL by way via Taylor Swift and uh, and all of her cronies, okay? Because she'll eat you alive, dog. So, you, you yeah, you're not you, you're not up for the task. You know, it's a dog eat dog world, and you're wearing milk bone underwear, dog. All right, but other than that, that's about all I got for you all today. I hope you're I hope you're you're, you're using your downtime well. You know. February, it's a motherfucker. So keep your keep your keep your head on a swivel and uh I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, baby.